So I have a hypothetical question for you that Wait. is only sort of hypothetical. Wait a second, we haven't even introduced the podcast right they now. They know. You're listening to Deeper Magic. You don't have you. to do some sort of fake introduction. No. But you're Anna. You're Peter. Yeah, okay. So what's your hypothetical question? Because you have not, you've threatened me with this, but I have no idea what you're going to ask right now. <laughs> it's not a threat. Well, it feels like it's a, a threat. It's a question. The gl- the, the, from the look in your eye, it feels like a, a threat. Okay. Okay. Hypothetically, does it make me a better or a worse Christian? Oh, dear. If I go to church this Sunday with one of my friends. Okay. To see the worship. And then leave immediately afterwards and go sit at Starbucks and have coffee with her. Doesn't make me, because technically I went to church, <laughs> All right. but I left right after the worship and that was my intention going into it. Well, is it, okay. I really didn't, this is the first I've heard the scenario. I know. And my immediate question is the reason for you going to the worship part, because there's a potential crush on one of the worship leaders. That is not information that I am free to disclose. Okay, I'm sorry. Do you and this have is a, a crush? Hype, no. Do you have okay, <laughs> no. so okay. So I think I can based on your non-answer, first of all. Uh-huh. And second of all, okay, fine. The question is, just generally speaking, if you cut out of church early. Yeah. Does that make you a better or worse Christian? Because you went to church, but you left early. Well, I I don't know. I mean, we, and I'm also then sharing community already, with a good friend of mine. I know, and you're already messing up the definition of church because we both know you can't go to church. Church is the people. So, right. you, so we're talking about if you leave the event in which the church happens to be gathering, and you leave it a little early on that, you're saying, does that make you a better or a worse Christian? Which then brings up the question: What by what metrics do you decide if you're a better or worse Christian? Right. Well, I was. I was recently. It sounds like you're there to support a friend who might have a crush on a worship leader, and if that's the case. But I also just happened to be in church. Yeah, well, and and I was I was recently told by somebody at my school that to be an adult Christian means that you get you go to church even if you disagree with it, and you participate in that space from within the church setting. Oh, so I like even if I don't find God in the church, even if I don't like, even if that is detrimental to my spiritual journey, yeah, you're supposed according to, to this person, I am not an adult Christian unless <laughs> I am actively participating in a church institution. So then by that metric, does it make me a better Christian mm, to go mm, and participate? Yeah. Even if I'm yeah. not going for God reasons <laughs> and then leave immediately after the brief rock concert um, this is a surprisingly complica- uh, complicated question. And it is all entirely hypothetical. All right. So, okay, here's here's my first blush response to that. Okay. So I would equate going to an event in which the church is gathering, mm-hmm. okay, along the same lines as I see myself as a golfer. Like, I really enjoy golf. Okay. I'm sure you can't at all see where this is going right now. I'm not even I'm sure I can either. I'm so sure. But I have I, no idea what's But I'm going to try. Okay. Okay. So, so I go to golf courses mm-hmm. to exercise my reality as a golfer. Like I, I am a golfer. I'm I just mm-hmm. part of how I, I do my life. And so I want to then play golf or I want to exercise the reality of the golf that I care about. And if I went to a golf course 
locally that was a par 68 and and had really crappy fairways and no so rough to and give all you kind of a stuff. brief idea of how much i know about golf <laughs> there was about a half a second there when you said par 68 yeah. where i thought that meant 68 holes and then i was like that's not right <laughs> I, know. I know that's not the right the extent of your but golf that... knowledge is windmills and clown mouths and oh i'm and... great at mini golf yeah, you, you're i'm actually so surprisingly good i'm good really at good at mini golf you're surprisingly good at it so the, the point being if i just went to some random track out in a farmer's field that was a par 68 mm-hmm. in which you couldn't distinguish between the rough and the fairway and it had no meaningful hazards and it was just straight hole. I would say that's really lame, that version of a golf course. And if I was six holes into okay. my 18 holes, because it's not 68 holes, it's 18. It's not. 68 if holes I, would be so much. <laughs> if I was six holes into my 18 holes and I left, I wouldn't be any less or more or better or worse of a golfer. I would still be a, a golfer because uh, the golf course is just simply the place in which I would go to exercise my golfing as as a person. So and it doesn't have any reflection on whether no. or not I'm a good Christian if I go and then leave right well, after worship? Yes, it's just it's it is interesting to me how common it is that people have the idea of church along the lines that you just described that if you are a Christian, you have to go to church and what they don't realize in that moment that they're saying is to be a good Christian, you have to go to an event that meets between nine o'clock and 12 o'clock, usually one of two events that meet between nine o'clock and 12 o'clock. And whether or not that church is the equivalent of a par 68, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, terrible golf course. They just think that church is the event. And I would, and so you're a Christian, meaning that you're going to exercise your Christianity within the church, but the church is the people of God following Jesus. As we know, it's, it's being part of a community and there's plenty, just like there's plenty of golf courses, in which I don't think there's any value whatsoever for me to go to that golf course and exercise my golfiness. And if I got to that course, right. leaving after hole six, I think the how we gather and the why we gather and the form of our gathering really matters. And so mm-hmm. when it's a rock concert-based church that's designed to shine the spotlight on the skinny jeans pastors that we've talked about, and if you, you if you've left after six whole six songs, whatever it is of church. I just don't think I actually genuinely don't think it's any different than leaving a golf course early or leaving a movie early or leaving a mall early. Um, I do think that we're, we have to exercise our Christianity within community, like within the gathering. I think that that Mm -hmm. really matters. And I think people who say you have to go to church probably have that instinct that we can't do this journey alone. It's meant to be being part of a people, right? But I think we have way better ways to gather together as people. And, and, and this is what you and I have been doing as part of our family and friends for a while now. The form yep. of our gathering isn't a Sunday morning experience as much as it is now a meal and some sharing time and community and learning and communion and all of that each week. So that, I don't know. That would be my response on that, that to leave early is not a huge deal. Okay, cool. Yeah, that makes sense. That answers my hypothetical question. Did my golf course analogy work at all? I think it did. Maybe. I think it would be more helpful if I if knew anything golfed. about golf, but <laughs> I don't. And so, there are, yeah, no, it works. I think it makes sense as yeah. an example. So do you like miniature golf? I love mini golf. The first uh, date that your mom and I ever went on was miniature golf. Wow. We, so we, it's like embedded in my genes. It, it must be. Yeah, yeah. That got passed on. And and so we saw the movie, know? we saw the movie space camp of all things. And then we went miniature golfing and on the 17th hole green, I don't know. I don't, I guess oh, I, know the I story. guess I don't even know if miniature golf courses have greens. They no, just, they, they, don't. Just, <laughs> they just have a little, so near the hole yeah. on the 17th 
hole green Good uh, job. Of, of the miniature golf course is mm-hmm. where I asked your, your mom to go steady with me. I literally did. I'm we sorry. use those terms. You're like forgetting that. the important part of this story where all of your dumb buddies were yeah. there laughing the well, whole they did. time. They, did. That they you all were like hugged each other in mock celebration when I finally oh, asked yeah. your mom to go study with me. But this is back in the Lionel Richie Chicago Peter Cetera song oh, era, yeah. as you know. So we we it was all kind of sappy and, and I asked her to go steady and it was it, it was a really good decision. Sickening. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> did you know that we and Nothing, nothing ever came of this, but the last time that I went to Big Stone Mini Golf, which yeah. I would so recommend, oh, it's, it's a, a great, great place. miniature golf course. I love yes. it. We got there and my older brother had his like keys in his wallet and his whatever. And he gave it to the guy who was like in the little, not, I don't know what you would call it, the kiosk. hut, the Kia- shed, yeah. the kiosk, yeah. Yeah, the yeah. whatever, where you like buy the clubs and like the whole Multicolored thing. Multicolored golf balls, yes. Right, that whole, that whole shebang. He was like, I don't really want to carry them around. I don't know why he didn't just put them in his pockets because he's a guy. So his jeans pockets are actually functional. Um, But for whatever reason, he decided to leave his keys and his wallet in the kiosk with the guy. Yeah. We're all playing mini golf. We're farting around. We're taking forever. We play cornhole for a while, which is such a deeply Midwestern thing to do, but like, that's fine. Um, And it was super fun. And then as we're leaving, cause it like gets dark enough to the point where we are using our flashlights to finish our rounds of cornhole. Right. We come back. The kiosk is closed. The guy is I, gone. Oh, I remember the this story. Locked. Yes. And we're like Caleb's car keys and his wallet are in that kiosk. In we the can hut see thing. it right there, but we can't get in there because the door is locked and we don't know what to do. So what did you do? I don't remember. Well. Did you break and enter? We didn't break anything. Did you enter? <laughs> but we entered. <laughs> how did, how um, did you possibly I enter without breaking really something? I really remember. I think it was one of those windows where it was like shut with a piece of wood that oh. was like stood against it. Do you know what I'm talking about? Kind of. Yeah. 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 So we Oh, like, I do. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yes. Right. Okay. So where you like can't lift it because there's like a wooden thing that's on top of the window still keeping it shut. Yeah. And I don't remember how, but we got that piece of wood out and then opened the window and boosted somebody, one of our friends who was there. Oh, so I was the small kid in that. Yeah. Moment, right? It was one, of, it was one of my friends. Of course. Was, yeah. And she's <laughs> tiny. And so we boosted her through that window and she went in and grabbed his stuff and came back out. And there was a security camera <gasps> that was watching the whole time. And so we all just stood there and like waved at the security Brilliant. camera and like held up the keys and the wallet. Like this is ours. We're not stealing it. We're giving you our faces so that you can recognize us, but you left and you have his stuff still. So that's we, perfect. Kind of, we didn't break anything. No, you didn't. You just entered. entered. You just entered the kiosk after it was locked. Yeah. Um, well, so and now, retrieved it. So that's one of my favorite mini golf stories. That calls to mind. I wonder if I actually just this last week committed a federal crime of some kind. Whoa. Well, and when you talk about break and enter, our, the mailbox that we have at the business that we own is sort of a, a part oh, of a yeah. big public row of mailboxes. And I didn't know there's apparently a locking feature inside the mailbox so that the mail person, cool mailman, mailwoman can can slide the mail, the mail through. Person. That yeah. was very inclusive. Thank of you. you know, <laughs> I'm sorry. Is it mail is still I, in the name? No, it's M A I L. It's a different kind of mail. Is that a homonym? Is that what that is? Mail, mail. That's a different, that's where they sound the same, but spelled different. You're homeschooled. You wouldn't know that stuff. I actually did study that and I'm an English major, so I should know that, but I don't. So the mail, mail, the mail, man, mail. Yeah. So it was locked and we had, I just got back from Scotland and we had stacks of mail in there and nobody knew where the key was. 
So I can neither confirm nor deny, just in case this was a federal crime to do this, that I actually stuck my fingers and and wedged them between the little sheet. Yeah, hypothetically, <laughs> the little the little sheet metal piece that allegedly keeps your mail safe. Clearly, I was yeah. able to demonstrate that it doesn't keep your mail safe. No, because if I, you could do that. Well, I have pretty strong fingers. Okay. So so I wedged my fingers, my big fat index finger and middle mm-hmm. finger and ring finger. I was able to wedge it in the little sheet metals, the, the space between the sheet metal lock area and then like the, the mailbox proper. And I just ripped that sucker sucker open. I, so I was funny. actually pretty proud of myself for just completely be. busting that's a lock. That's really impressive. So I was able to get all the mail, but now I'm just realizing, I wonder if that's a federal crime. If it's if you break your into your own mailbox, though. it probably isn't. No, that seems fine. No, no, if you no, broke no, into your fine. own mailbox, I think like fine. that's probably okay. So I did break and enter the mailbox. Unlike your you. mailbox. I, it was my mailbox, so that's yeah. fine. So good. Well, so what are we going to talk? I know we've got a couple things to talk about this week related to Garden of Eden. This will be right. part three of the series, and I think both we'll do a quick review of where we've been. We don't have a guest with us this week. We want to nope. talk about it ourselves. Nobody likes us. <laughs> it's been an ongoing theme of my life. <laughs> that would be maybe that's yeah. a conversation for a different time. You and I have both had experiences where we've had friends that we really liked and really were part of our lives. And they oh, just you took bailed. that to a heavy place. No, right I away. know, but they just bailed on her. I mean, okay. Well, yeah, but okay. Well, yeah, but, but you just, <laughs> you just tapped a, a festering wound in my soul. I'm in therapy. So like, yeah, that's true. I don't know what your problem is, but no, I'm an, I'm a generation ahead of you. We don't, you know, we're yeah, no, you don't do that. You life. just repress things. <laughs> I do. And then it comes out in podcast with my daughter in this moment. Yeah. uh So it's anyway, we want to talk about, we need to talk about that sometime uh, about just when, when friends walk away, what does that do to the soul? Mm -hmm. But, uh, and maybe even when we talk about part four of garden of Eden and we talk about what it means to have a life of being naked and unashamed from Genesis two. Yeah. But we do highly recommend people going back to garden of Eden part one and garden of Eden part two, where we covered some of these main topics from Genesis one just underneath the idea that Genesis 1 is not some scientific account of creation teaching us all of that, that there's really all kinds of deep and rich theology that if we get our head around what's going on in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, we might end up having much more of a revisioned story of what happened in the Old Testament, what Jesus did, all, all these reasons why people, I think, have understandably walked away from institutional Christianity um, there's such a difference between the way institutional Christianity sometimes expresses Christianity mm-hmm. and what actually Christianity is. And, and yeah, you and absolutely. I are not going to become the new experts on Christianity, but I think, <laughs> uh, but, but I think we're, from what we hear from people who listen regularly to deeper magic, that, that they appreciate that people are giving voice to their experience of saying, so I really am a spiritual person and I really care about yeah, these things, absolutely. but I really struggle like those are just bad golf courses for me. I can't exercise my faith in these kinds of environments. And so that's not bad to suggest that we need entirely different kinds of environments and even theological understanding sometimes mm-hmm. uh, around all of this kind of stuff. So we'll talk about part three today. We've got a few topics to talk about, but we got yeah. a couple other things to talk about maybe before we do that too. Well, you're seeing John Wick tonight, which I have opted oh, out so of. so excited. I have recently, so excited. I don't know if convicted is the right word or not, but I feel like it is in like a traditional Christian setting. I, but I don't even know if you can be convicted about being really deeply inconsistent. Um, <laughs> but I'm super curious where this is going to go. Yeah, because, well, part of the reason why I'm not seeing John Wick with you tonight is yeah. because I was like, I don't know what all is going to happen in that movie. Right. I don't always have a high tolerance for 
gore or like disturbing content. Are you trying or to suggest whatever. that there's going to be some sort of violence in John Wick? Shocking, I know. Um, <laughs> I'm going to count tonight how many people he kills by his bare hands, mm. by some sort of sharp object, by an actual gun, I like or that by you some think other. You're going to remember that, but like, no, yeah, good luck. Probably, I won't. Okay, but yeah, that's part of why I'm not going to see it tonight is because I'm like I don't always have the highest tolerance for that. So if I'm going to watch a movie like John Wick, I want to be able to watch it in a setting where I have like a little more control over what's going on. I can skip things if it is getting to be too much or I can mute it because heads up for all of my fellow people who struggle with that. um, Muting it is awesome because usually like the music in the background is specifically designed to create anxiety and intensity in you because it's like a thing and it's really cool. Um, actually that's a brilliant thing. And there's like a specific kind of instrument that was made that sounds like a human scream. Like mm-hmm. your brain registers it as a human scream. And it's like that weird high pitched, like string instrument that you hear in horror movies right. because it activates that part of your brain that tells you that other people are in danger and therefore you are in danger. Weird psychology thing with horror, mu- horror movie music. But anyways, I have lived by that idea for a really long time that I am like, I have low tolerance for gore. I have low tolerance mm-hmm. for like disturbing violence I whatever. And I do sometimes, but then also sometimes I just don't care right. and it doesn't bother me. And I don't really know what so the, you are inconsistent. I, yeah. I can't figure out why I'm inconsistent, but mm. I'm deeply inconsistent with that. Like, I watched 15 seasons of Supernatural, which is not something that I am proud of, but I did. <laughs> I think you watched 15 seasons twice of Supernatural. I did not. I watched 15 seasons. I didn't watch it for three weeks. And then I tried to rewatch an episode and immediately was like, how did I watch 15 seasons? Yeah, because I did not I see stopped. you. Yeah, I didn't see you from age 14 to age 16, I think, because you were watching Supernatural. Because I was watching Supernatural. Yes. Yeah. No, I, it was. That's because you fell in love with that girl, Gilmore Girls guy, Dean, whatever his name is. And then no, he was one of the main actors in Supernatural. Actually, no. Was it his brother in we Supernatural? We need to have a conversation about that because Dean from Gilmore Girls is the biggest walking red flag that I've ever seen <laughs> in my entire life. And he only gets worse every time you rewatch the Yeah, show. well, we talked a little bit about who in past episodes about which Gilmore Girls boyfriend yep. is the best one. Okay, so anyway, Absolutely. so, so you're not going to I'm John Wick with us tonight. I'm just inconsistent though. with like what kind of gore I can tolerate and when. And I don't know what the deal is with that. Yeah. So I was like, I'm just going to tap out of John Wick tonight. I'll watch it, it when I can like control my environment a little bit Super more. Fair. Um, but yeah, let me know how that I, is. Well, and I, I guess it does beg another question. And first of all, one of my, one of the, the grief points on going tonight is my favorite actor in John Wick um, was Lance Reddick. And he played such a beautiful role. And, and, and I think, Actually, a, a little bit of a role of light, if that's even possible, no, in this totally John did. Wick show, right? You know, and 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 as the manager of the Continental, and he was always there as this stable presence for John Wick, who would come hobbling in you know, from all yeah. of his wounds into the Continental. He's, do you know what it is? He's like the Oracle in Matrix. He totally is. That's, that's a really what it good is. example. He's like it's that a really good character of like, yeah. you're just always there, and you always know what's going on, and you always like that yes. guy. Yes, and he just passed away. Uh, Suddenly, apparently from natural causes, mm-hmm. and he, I think he was 59 or 60 years old, which felt old to me when I was in my 30s. But now at 52, yeah. it feels like he was very young to have passed away in that way. So I, I, I would imagine in the same way that there is a tribute of some kind um, to who's the guy from Black Panther that I just Chadwick was my Boseman. Yeah, so Chadwick Boseman, my favorite actor in the entire Avengers universe when he yeah. passed away. 
So I'd be a little bit sad about that, but I'm excited. But it brings up a question because you were actually invited along tonight Mm -hmm. and I'm going with my best buddy, my best teaching buddy, uh, Jim Bilby, theology professor. I'm sure he'll be on Deeper Magic sometime in the future. Mm -hmm. And I'm going with your brother, Caleb, 23 year old boy, um, with Jim's son, Zach, who is, what would you say Zach is, 20-ish? He's my age. He's 20, 21. Yeah, yeah. And then- I think I'm uh, a little older than him. So I think he is 21, but okay. I'm a little older. And then Jake, uh, who is going to be Jim's son-in-law because uh, Jim's daughter, Maddie, and Jake got engaged in Paris just, I think, two weeks recently, ago or so. They sent us recently. the Instagram account from with, with the Eiffel Tower twinkling in the background. Jake got down on one knee for Maddie. So- so Jake and, well, and I- they've been dating for ages. Forever, so I'm forever. Like, I'm it was, it's so brilliant. happy for them. It's, I'm so happy for them too. So Jake and Zach and Jim and Caleb and me. So it's going to be five boys going to traditionally pretty much a boy movie yeah. at this point in time. And you were invited along as a girl. Had you not had the aversion, your, your inconsistent aversion oh, yeah. to violence, would you, would you have gone. wanted to go with five dudes to, uh, we're, we're going to go to a place called Northern Tap House and have some beer and wings and other nice. stuff. I mean, which I can do that here you, now, by the way, you totally can, which is a awesome. 21 year old. And then we're going to go see this movie. So you would have wanted to go along. Yeah. Probably. Do you think, so would the environment have changed? I have absolutely no idea. I, I don't even know what the environment will be like tonight for five dudes. I think there's this stereotype that all we're going to do is just talk inappropriately about women mm-hmm. and then we'll talk about sports and then we'll sit in silence because we're out of conversation topics. You'll burp a little while and then you'll move on. <laughs> it's such a terrible stereotype yeah. about what happens there. But I wonder how, is there a role for going out only with, friends who are of the same gender. So for you to go out with three or four Mm. or five women or me to go out with three or four or five guys and that just be it for the night, should we always have mixed company? I mean, this is my question for you that you're unprepared for. Oh, interesting. What would you, what would you say about the role of going out with all male friends? If you're a guy or all female friends, if you're a girl, like what, is there a role for that or is that somehow exclusive or what would you say? Yeah. So I think that really depends on the context in which you're asking it. And, and first of all, I have had some really interesting experiences with that growing up. And I know Caleb has as well, um, where he and I kind of always came as a package deal. And that was like understood among all our friends that it was like, if you're friends with Anna, you're also friends with Caleb. Or yeah, if you're friends with Caleb, cool. you're also friends with Anna. Super like cool. that's just how it's going to be. Right. Um, which is, which is great and was really good for both of us um, and continues to be really good for both of us. But growing up, we kind of had, okay, like childhood through now, it was Caleb and I and then two guy friends of ours. And then more recently into high school and then this group has kind of fizzled a little more, but it was me and two girls and Caleb. And I'm still friends with the two girls. We still hang out all the time, like whatever. Caleb is less friends with them now. Right. But it was, there was always kind of this understanding of, like, I, I don't even totally know what I'm trying to say here, but like it was three guys and me and I never felt weird or uncomfortable or unwelcome or like behavior was going to be different if I was there than if I wasn't. And I, and I caught glimpses into that sometimes where somebody would say something where they would be like, oh, Anna's here, so I'm not going to say that. Right. And then I would yell at them and then we would move on. Um, <laughs> and, and then there was always like the same thing when it was 
me and two other girls and Caleb where it was like, he wasn't the odd man out there. And I was just sitting um, here thinking like your reactions in those moments. I was trying to think of what is the flower analogy. I had withering dandelion in my head, <laughs> but I knew that wasn't right. And I eventually the, got in my head to shrinking, violet, yeah, shrinking, shrinking violet. violet. It took me a little while to get from withering dandelion uh -huh. to, to shrinking violet, but you are not a no. shrinking violet in those situations. No, 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 There's no. no question. People know what Anna Kastner is thinking in any given moment. Absolutely. Okay. So carry on. Um, now that I got that, that agricultural analogy, analogy straight. You're right. not a shrinking violet. So I think between both Caleb and I, there really is a depth of comfort being like the only person of the opposite gender in a large group yeah. of either men or women. Yep. For me, that as a woman in particular, that depends largely on who that group of men is. What, hmm, what is that sentence of who are the men in that <laughs> so group? I was so like, that wasn't, a, that wasn't a sentence at all. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but for me, it'll largely depend on like who is in that group that I'm coming into as the only okay, woman because that's, that's like a slightly different situation. Um, but yeah, like, no, I don't think that I would have felt uncomfortable or out of place in this group tonight. Um, but I, I do think that there is something tangibly different and important about like me going out to lunch or dinner or whatever with some of my girlfriends or like you going out with just your guy friends or yeah. whatever, like there's, there is something different about that for sure. And I think what, so the reason why I said a while ago that I think it depends on the context in which you're asking that is that oftentimes one thing that you'll hear is like the night with the boys is the thing that happens. Like when you're in a relationship with somebody and then the guy is like, I just want a night with the boys. Yeah, I think that's, and then it is often what you're talking about where it's like, oh, that yeah. often gets real gross, real weird, real quick. It does. It's very unhealthy. And it's very detrimental to the relationship because then it is often like, I don't know, like there's some part of myself that I don't, like, I don't know what I'm trying to say with that, but it just, it feels like that puts something ugly between the two people in the relationship. It, well, it feels like there's a bit of a middle finger tossed up to the yeah. other person in the relationship. Like I'm out of here. I'm going to go finally blow off some steam that has been yeah. building up in this relationship. And I'm finally going to get into a context in which I can be myself or I can. Yeah. There's a, I, there's I a really sense know. of the yeah. woman being really restricting and really controlling and really like whatever. And he just needs a night with the boys to like yeah. go whatever and I'm like yeah and it and it happens in the reverse as well where it's like for girls sure night and it's like no you don't get to be here because you're like gross and weird and yeah well, I've seen some stupid very and you don't inappropriate. get what's going on yeah and so I'm gonna go have a night with the girls and we're gonna like go do whatever and so it, it's happening on both ends of it and so I think there I think there really is a place for like just hanging out with the girls or just hanging out with the guys or whatever but if it becomes this ugly like and you're not invited because you're being meh, 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 meh. that I think that's when it gets really weird and gross. And I don't think there's a place for that. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think there certainly are conversations that come up among when I'm just with some of my guy mm -hmm. friends that I think are helpful and healthy. And when it's not, you know, a middle finger being thrown oh, up yeah. to anybody else in life, there are just certain things that, that happen in that that can be healthy. But I, I find more contexts are unhealthy than healthy in those situations where there is yeah. that, that sense of it. And I was, your mom and I have made a practice the last probably three to five years or so of 
accidentally and now intentionally showing up in Edinburgh every October for cocktail week uh, all over the city of Edinburgh. <laughs> it's like that timer goes off it in is, your brain. It's, you're it's, like, it's, it's cocktail time. time. <laughs> Where for, I think it's like 15 pounds, you get a wristband yeah. for the week and then you can go to one of maybe 75, 100 establishments that have mm-hmm. a special cocktail week drink on, you know, my, uh, on massive discount. Which is awesome. And it is fun. And your mom, uh, she has two very, very good friends in Edinburgh that she regularly, well, one in, one in particular, we for sure go out for cocktail yep. week a lot, but then she, they've been joined. The three of them have been going out and I will join them as the only guy in that situation. Mm-hmm. And we really do have an amazingly fun time together, three women and, and me. But I also know and, and sort of respect to give them some of their time yeah. just to the three of them. Cause I can't even name how it's going to be different for the three of them to go out and do that. It is, but, though. but it is. And, and somehow it's really important and, and valuable, especially because your mom and I trust each other in this, in this situation that she's not going out because she has to debrief about what a knucklehead. And that doesn't mean I'm not a knucklehead. Yeah. She's just not going out to debrief with her friends <laughs> about what a knucklehead point. I am. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think there's some real healthiness. So that'll be John Wick tonight. I'm really curious. I, you know me, I got totally swept up into the John oh, you Wick totally universe. Did. It was another thing to keep track of. And man, is it hard to keep track of TV shows these days because yeah. uh, maybe a conversation that we can get into a little bit. Well, uh, and I have one last quick thing about the girls night versus the yeah, guys please. night. If it's an escape from your male or female partner or whoever, that's when I think it becomes really unhealthy rather yes. than like a valuing of those specific relationships. Yeah, for sure. Like, right. That, I think that's the difference. Yeah. But, I want your mom to go out with her friends in that way, just yeah. because there'll be sides of her that I don't fully understand that will develop and change and, and get exercised and, um, in, in some ways that just wouldn't, uh, otherwise. So yeah. yeah but so anyways, look, looking forward to keeping shows. up to the, the John Wick universe. Um, I can't keep up on all the different universes out there. Yeah. You and I are trying to get through the last season of Outer Banks, which I'm enjoying, yep. but shadow and bone just came out for you. So you're trying to keep up with that. I've mm-hmm. finally got to Obi-Wan Kenobi. I, I will say this, you feel a little bit of stress about the background music and horror movies or intense thriller kinds uh-huh. of movies. I feel stressed just trying to keep up with all of the shows that I think I need to keep up with. I don't, I don't right. know if Ant-Man is fighting Darth Vader, who's oh. taking a whack at Ward in Outer Banks. Like I can't, well, all, of I these can shows, all of these shows are blending in with each other. And uh-huh. I feel like, am I falling behind in my relevance if I haven't kept up on all these shows? Well, here's the thing is that uh, with all the love in my heart, you don't have a filter to determine what you're keeping up with and what you're not keeping up with. You're talking me specifically? Yes, you specifically, well, which is why you're stressed out. Because it's like you're trying to take 18 <laughs> classes in one semester. Yeah, yeah. Like no wonder you're stressed. And I'm sitting over here and Are I'm like- Are you my therapist, right? I've never, yes, as you know, I okay. Am. I feel less um, repressed. Uh, good, good. That is the point of therapy. But, okay. um, but yeah, like I'm sitting here and I am like, passively invested in Marvel. So I will go see the new movie whenever it comes out, but all of the like 87,000 TV shows oh, that are coming out my with Marvel, gosh. I have just ignored them. Cause I'm okay. like, whatever, unless I am like sort of invested in what's going on or like, I like the characters or yeah. whatever, then I'm not really fussed about watching it. Okay. Um, because I don't need to know everything that's going on in that universe all the time. Oh, see, I feel like I have to. I feel yeah. like I can't possibly see you Ant-Man don't. unless I see every last- I'm so used to it. Because the thing is, is that all of those things series. are catered towards the comic book people I who see. have read all of the books and they know everything that's going on already, which is why they'll like introduce so wait, some you're random associating actor. me with like the Comic Con yes. um, expos and conferences where people go down with their t-shirts and their yeah, Dungeons and Dragons The guys who gear. are like, well, actually- 
Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, that gives me a bit of a paradigm. Okay. Yeah. So, so I don't like, need to keep it's up. It's why on all they of this. introduce some rando actor at the end of some movie holding some significant object, and they're like, "It's time," and then you're like, "I have no idea who that person is," but yes. cool. That's why it's because they're uh, marketing it to the comic book people. And I'm like, I don't have the time or energy to keep up with all of that information. So I'm just only going to invest in the parts of Marvel that I am already invested in. Okay. I'm doing the same thing with the star Wars universe. Cause I, there's so many, I have lost track and lost investment in yeah. star Wars. Quite frankly, I, I really enjoyed Mandalorian, but I'm like, there are so many other things that I'm so much more invested in right now that I'm not super interested in going through and watching book of Boba and Obi-Wan and like all of that. Cause I'm like, that's really cool. And I have higher priority things. I feel right like now. you're the 52 year old, like mature voice of wisdom right now. And I'm the 21 year old anxiety ridden youth who can't keep yeah. up on all of these things. Well, and and I'm worried why? that I've fallen behind. It's, it's Maybe because I tonight. was raised bringing in this amount of information. Oh yeah. See That's for me it's overwhelming. This is like second half of your life kind of way of living. Yeah, because I, way of I mean I'm pre internet, right? Like I right. this is all so crazy to me, this whole Whereas thing. Whereas this is all that I know. Like this yeah. is how you consume information. This is how you consume content. I mean yes. And so I'm sitting over here and I'm like, I'm not invested in that show, so I'm not gonna watch it because I don't really care. And it's why it took me four years. Was it four years? after Stranger Things came out to actually finally start Stranger Things was because I was like, I don't care and I'm not invested in it. And yeah. now I'm super invested in it and that would make it a top of my priority list. But it really just is a matter of like- what can What's realistic that you can and felt interesting. Yeah. Now that's because I did and living in a pre-internet world when information mm -hmm. was not- being commodified in order to, to, to be monetized and everything. I mean, it was, it was a big day for me if I learned what a horse was. <laughs> I mean, oh if, I, if I just learned like, that's such what, a weird example. If I, but if I just like, if I just learned one thing in a day in the 1970s, 80s and 90s, that was yeah. a really big deal. And now I feel like the I've horse goes nay was yeah. a game changer. I mean, it was <laughs> that, that little board book changed my life. And now I feel like, I have to uplink uh, or I have to I have to get involved with Elon Musk's neural link or something like that. It, yeah. You just keep downloading information into my brain all the time because I'm falling behind anyway. No, well, that, yeah. That and it, but it's like if you take into account the fact that you don't have to listen to every piece of music, you don't have to read every book or watch every show or watch every movie in order to stay relevant. Yeah. Because yeah. and really, it's not even about being relevant. It's about like, what do you enjoy watching and reading and listening to and whatever? then like, that's fine. But right. there, you, you really kind of have to accept the fact that there is too much out there to be invested in. Like you just actually physically are incapable of that. Um, so and then just, you just get to be like, okay, so what am I invested in? So I'm going to put on my filter then right now, because this is so helpful to just have actually have a filter for things that matter. Okay. Uh, I'm going to feel, I'm going to say that John, you're welcome. Wait, the, <laughs> <laughs> Do I have to pay you for this therapy yeah. session? Yeah, actually, right. I was talking with my friend about this last night where we were sitting there and we were on her couch and we were watching New Girl and she, but we were doing the thing where you're like, I'm not have it playing I'm not in invested the background. In the New Girl universe, by the way. That, we'll fix that. That's okay. No, that is a red flag, but we'll <laughs> fix that. Um, but we were talking and we were doing the thing where it was like playing in the background and we like weren't really watching it. We were just kind of talking. Um, and she said something about how she was like, I feel like I'm in therapy right now, but that would be weird because I'm petting your hair and that's like a weird thing to do that is if really weird. you're my therapist. Yeah. I was like, that's okay. I'll just be a therapy dog. 
because oh, then that's not that weird. Definitely works. And I was like, and my rate is a hundred dollars a minute. <laughs> you can Venmo me. <laughs> so you're welcome. This has been therapy with Anna. Uh, no, well, see, that's you now because, have a filter because now I'm walking away feeling decidedly less anxious. Mm-hmm. I've decided, yes, I'm for sure going to invest and increasingly invest in the John Wick universe. Yep. Because there's some other side spinoff shows coming to Paramount Plus right. or something like that. I don't know what they're coming on later this year. So that's number one. Number two, I'm going to stay invested in the Miyagi verse, as they call it, because I finished Cobra, oh, Cobra Kai, Kai seasons and uh, yeah. four and five, I think, when I was um, so sick while I was on sabbatical. I just streamed mm-hmm. all of those. So, I, so I'm all in for the Karate Kid universe, uh, John Wick, Karate Kid. I am going to, I think, drop off the Marvel thing. The Marvel thing, yeah. um, After, and I don't want to be spoilers for those who haven't seen all the Marvel movies, but post-Infinity War saga, I just yeah. can't get... There's been some really good movies, and I've enjoyed Black Panther 2 uh, as well as really Spider-Man. Good. Yeah, there's some, been some good ones, but I feel like the the that universe has sort of lost its oomph as it were but i am gonna yeah i will say this i i know that obi-wan kenobi really took uh quite a few bad reviews i think but oh, really? i really enjoyed it so i'm gonna stay involved yeah. in this so here are my universes star okay. wars john wick and cobra kai miyagi verse and then mm-hmm. when stranger things and shadow and bone and these shows I'll, I'll watch those too but okay i've got three yeah i've got three universes i'm gonna stay a part of this is super helpful well and i have a brief like writerly literary sort of thing with the marvel universe that i think is really interesting yeah um and this is something that i've heard in a ton of different like writing classes that i've taken where um when you're starting a book if you have multiple point of views or if you have an established series and then you're doing a sequel series and you establish new characters, you have to be really, really careful how you do that or you're going to lose reader investment sure right away. For because sure chapter one, you're introduced to a character. You get invested in that character ideally right away. If chapter two switches to a different character and then it's 10 more chapters before you go back to that character from chapter one, yes, you're not invested because there's too much going on and you I can't totally sink agree. into it. I totally agree. Um, it's part of why I didn't like all that like, Rick Riordan series, the second series. Percy of, Jackson. Yeah, yeah, because they kept switching back and forth from characters and I couldn't keep track of who was what and I didn't care anymore. Right, because there's the first five books and then there was the second it's set the of second five, five books. With Jason and I and actually, some other people. I loved the second five. I liked them better than the first five, but the first book was so hard for me because it was marketed as a Percy Jackson book, yes. but none of the characters were in it. <laughs> I was like, who's And Jason? I was like, what is going care. on? I don't Who care are about these Jason. people? Yes, um, anyway. Yeah, and so it's like you always take a risk when you're introducing new characters or setting up new perspectives. And I think the thing that uh, you have to do if you're going to take a step like that is you have to keep the original, you have to keep some of the original characters and move on from that point. So like I just read a sequel trilogy, absolutely loved it. I cried for 20 minutes when I finished the last book, but it's because they took like three or four, they took a main character and then three or four like side characters from the original trilogy that or from the original series that we already knew and were invested in wrote a series about them and then added in like two other main characters and got us all really invested in what was happening that way. But the thing is, is that Marvel didn't keep any of their original characters. So they like, they just sent a wave out yeah. of all of these new yeah. characters and then got rid of that's all of the great, old people exactly what who we were deeply invested in. And then they didn't give us, they like started to introduce like the black Panther and the Spider-Man and the whatever, like they started to introduce some of those newer characters in the hopes that that would be enough to carry us on once yeah. those, once the old guard had kind of died off and, and it didn't. 
Yeah. That was the thing is that we weren't invested enough in any of, there was too many new characters and not enough old characters and not enough investment in the in-between characters to keep the momentum going. Yeah. It it really feels like I was so, it feels like a rebound Marvel universe. It does. It It feels like I've lost my first love. Yeah. I was so in with the whole, (laughs) Yeah, like when, after your mom and I, after I had asked her to go study and then we, we had a wonderful nine months as 15 Mm -hmm. and 16 year olds. And then we broke up because I was an idiot. And And you dated all of her friends. (laughs) That's a little aggressive, but somewhere, but, but all of those relationships were just like, meh, they're just rebound, but they weren't, they weren't your mother. And so thankfully, I mean, we can't, I was, able to sort things out myself Mm -hmm. personally. And we've, you know, we made it through all of that, but yeah, you can't go back to this sort of that golden age of Marvel time. I just don't see it returning. So this helps. I think I will just uh, shelve the Marvel, Marvel Mm -hmm. universe. I might stay up to date on it to some extent, but that takes the anxiety of feeling like I have to keep yeah. Up all the time. Well, should we talk about our Garden of Eden topics for today? Yeah, we too? should. This yeah, is not probably, a Marvel podcast. That, that this is a Christian <laughs> podcast. <laughs> but we already determined Quick, relate Marvel to Christianity in 30 seconds or less. Yeah. So again, we recommend that people go back and listen to the previous episodes. Mm-hmm. You and I did an episode on uh, on Garden of Eden part one. There's even a, a, an earlier episode that we released late last year with Rabbi Alan Ullman oh, that yeah. he talked about some of these key concepts from Genesis mm-hmm. 1 as well. And I think, is there any that, any that we probably should revisit just briefly from Genesis 1 before we talk about some of these ideas today, especially our vocation and original sin? Yeah, I think my big takeaway that, that Holly had from our time with them was about um, being good, not just doing good, that like that is an intrinsic part of who we are and we are created as verbs. All of that content from her was really, really strong. Um and and it wasn't something that I had heard before, so it was it was really fun to hear her talk about that. Um, and then I'm always just a sucker for like how much is really in the opening patterns of creation in Genesis one. Like I just love all of that. I think that's so interesting. Yeah, and one of those patterns I know we'll talk about in a future week is that God mm-hmm. creates the fullness of something and then separates it out. And we've alluded to that before a little bit, right? But it's really going to matter when we get into the creation of male and female. Yeah. That as opposed yeah. to God having some time with single male dude and then being like, "Wait, I totally <laughs> forgot night. something." Yeah, mm-hmm. I know where is she. And so we'll talk about all those things mm-hmm. later. But going back to what you said about being verbs and good, because yeah. I think that's such a key concept. If we're going to talk a little bit in this podcast about the vocation that God gave mm-hmm. the male and female to tend and to guard his creation is that that, that that's that word good again. Yeah, and, and how it relates to the tov and the sacred future. Yeah, so, so, so when we see the word good translated in our English, it's coming from the Hebrew word tov, mm-hmm. which they had some definitions for. There's a lot of different ways you could talk about tov. I think maybe the, the simplest way, and this is the way that I talk about it in my class, is just simply that something continues to unfold according to the way God designed it to unfold with all of its yeah. love and joy and freedom and laughter that were that because we're verbs, we're always changing. We're always moving. It's always future. There's no such thing as present. Everything is always, always moving. It's just the world is dynamic. We are dynamic. We're never the same person moment to moment, all of that. Right. Right. So, so good is less of a value statement in terms of like good job, like I declare something good. Good is that you're just simply continuing to dynamically live in the ever unfolding future within the beauties and realities that God has designed. And he, mm-hmm. he has designed his world to be one big party of delight, of love and laughter and joy and peace and freedom and hope and trust 
and no fear, no, none of those sorts yeah, of things. Absolutely. And so the garden of Eden is this place where it's supposed to be the garden of delight, Eden meaning delight mm-hmm. in which all of God's goodness is forever on unfolding display. It just keeps yeah. getting better and better and better and better. And things keep toving and toving and toving. And mm-hmm. there's more laughter and more love and more delight. And, and that's supposed to just continue on indefinitely and in, into infinity. It, Maybe just one quick byproduct. I, have you ever thought what, like what your what your picture of heaven would be? I think most oh. people mo- most people are not terribly interested in going to heaven if they're being honest about it. Yeah. And sometimes I ask this in my class, and students are like, "Yeah, it's not super compelling to me because we think it's going to be some endless." loop of Chris Tomlin worship songs or something that well, we have to do. It's like, I yeah. just, I just sang that one yesterday. <laughs> so, We're singing good, good father again. Can it's, you, that's just can you imagine loop. good, good father oh for eternity? Gosh. We should watch the good place because honestly, I think if you were in, if you were in heaven and it was just good, good father on loop all day, every day, I think that would actually secretly be the bad place. Yeah, I think so. Because there, there's a Twilight Zone episode right. where when he first gets there, everything is always happening according to his deepest desires and he can never fail. Like yeah. he fail. Like he, he breaks uh, the all of the billiard balls on the billiard table and they mm-hmm. all go into the pockets and he wins every time and he thinks this is heaven. But oh, then yeah. he realizes later on in the episode in which there's no failure, no struggle, no whatever, that he's actually in, in not heaven. Yeah, and no. So, okay, so, so anyway. okay, so for anybody who's interested in that kind of theological idea, I would so recommend The Good Place. It's so funny. And like in terms of content warning, there is a fair amount of like of course. sexual jokes and like whatever, which I I don't know. It doesn't super bother me. It's not my favorite thing in the world, but I do think it can be really funny if it's done well. Sure. Um, but it's absolutely brilliant. The basic premise is this woman wakes up, she's told that she has died and is now in the good place. Um, she's introduced to her soulmate who is a philosophy professor. Uh, and basically she comes to him and she's like, there was a mistake. I am not supposed to be here. I'm a terrible person. It's a great premise. And I need you to help me figure out how to continue to pretend that I'm a good person so that they don't put me in the bad place. Yeah. It's hilarious. It's so funny. They do such a good job and they take a lot of these like theological ideas to their logical conclusion. Yeah. Um, which is really interesting. And they did a great job. So, so yeah. So heaven though, in terms of how people mm-hmm. think about it, I just, first of all, no eye has seen and no ear has heard and no mind right. can conceive what God has prepared. So I think we have to be really careful to not let our ideas about heaven guide our hope and desire relative for what God has in mind yeah. in the future, because we just, we can't conceive of it. But I love the Narnia example when the children finally make it into the true Narnia at the end of the last battle. Mm -hmm. And it basically says something to the effect of where every day is better than the last. Yeah. And so I think, I mean, when when you think of what the garden of Eden was meant to be and then what got, um, I guess squashed when we start talking about what happened in the fall in Genesis three and all of those sorts of things is that the garden of Eden was just meant to be a place where every day was better than the last where Mm -hmm. God had created an infinite playground of the universe so that the infinite wonder of God would never get exhausted and every day would just simply be better than the last. And and I, it's hard for me to even get my head around the idea that today was off the hook, but tomorrow is yeah. going to be better and tomorrow is going to be better. And tomorrow, and we're, and we're meant to, to verb, verb, how would I say that verbiness of our, our verbi yeah. unfolding is that tomorrow's laughter will even be richer and more beautiful 
and profound than today's laughter is. And it's partly because we then have another day's worth of laughter having built up in our lives together or tomorrow's love or tomorrow's joy or tomorrow's hope is going to be even better than it was the day before because we lean onto a deepening, ever deepening bank of hope and love and joy together and and beauty and wonder and all these things are meant to unfold. So I think that that's the point of Tove is that yeah. I just don't, when Genesis gets reduced down to some scientific account and some yeah. scientific argument. Or like we, it was a pretty garden. Yeah, it was a pretty garden. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and then yep. we ask all these questions like how many fruit were they? Did they have pomegranate at that time? You know, all yeah. of this guy, it was a small garden. And uh-huh. I, you know, so I think just that, I think we just have a very, like, very. Where is the physical destination oh, of Eden? It's yeah, it's somewhere, yeah. somewhere in the Mesot- hear, Mesopotamian Valley. Well, did you hear about the thing where it was like, it's in the Antarctic and it's just frozen under the ice? Or I think I have seen something yeah. about that. I'm more yeah. liable to believe that than Mesopotamia now, but, <laughs> but even so. <laughs> but of course I believe in Yeti and Sasquatch and, and, right. and yeah. Nessie. So I'm not, a, I'm not very reliable on that anyway. So that's a bit about good is that God intended to create a verbi. Well, he didn't, he created a verbi creation mm-hmm. that was intended to just keep unfolding and beauty and laughter, beauty and laughter and love and delight and, and joy yeah. and all of that. So that's probably the best recap that we could do from that. Mm-hmm. At and, this point. and that takes us well into our idea of um, that humanity was created intrinsically good because yes. because now we've kind of we've talked about the patterns of creation. We've talked about verbs and tov and sacred future, which is kind of all of the foundation leading up to the creation of mankind, humankind, um, however you want to say that. But yeah, who's um, all inclusive now? Yeah, I said male up. person. I know. Uh-huh. I know. Miss uh, inclusivity. Yeah. It's because I got corrected on that yesterday and I was like, I think that's stupid, but okay. Um, <laughs> like I, yes, I am such a feminist. And also I think <laughs> you the, are, I have I no think idea. The nitpicking of language yes, is not actually going to help anybody. It's not reflective um, of the healthy need of feminism. No, so, it's yes. you patting yourself on the back so that you can feel better about yourself without yeah, yeah. actually doing anything to fix anything. <laughs> um, but that's okay. So uh, that takes us into the creation of humanity and what what all does that mean? Mankind. Okay. okay. Um, <laughs> yes, what does that mean? But in yeah. terms of, uh, we've talked about a little bit in one of our recent mm-hmm. podcasts, it's probably worth saying a little bit more about, you've run into it a lot recently yeah. that people assume what's true about them and the people around them is this Augustinian notion. And, and just to oh, clarify yes. who Augustine is, Augustine, again, was like, an- You un- started that sentence and then I was like, I don't know where you're going well, with this. That's most of my life. I don't know where yeah. I'm going on anything okay, either. Okay, cool. So Augustine was a theologian in the late 300s and the 400s for people that maybe have never heard of Augustine, but have nonetheless been deeply, deeply impacted by some substantial errors theologically and biblically that Augustine made, I would suggest. Mm-hmm. And what part of what that's led to, but you've been around a lot of environments even recently Oh yeah. where the, the shape of the environment in terms of how people understand themselves and understand the people around them mm-hmm. is through the lens of this theological concept called original sin, or or even better than this, uh, total depravity. Yep. And and Augustine, in fairness, was not as robust in his views of total depravity that then got hardened for fourteen hundred years later, or no, I'm sorry, twelve hundred years later by John Calvin and others. Mm-hmm. But you've certainly, and I think people don't know that tens of thousands of these yeah. events that we call church, but tens of thousands of organizations mm-hmm. that are gathering for events that they have been deeply impacted in their views because yeah. this is basically what we're saying 
is that human beings from moment one of conception or however we understand the origin of somebody's life is totally depraved. And how does that possibly line up with all that comes from the hand of God as good? So that that's sort of an overview. I mean, it's pretty yeah. simplistic of the theological overview of Augustine. I think that the point of all of that is that it really has caused us to see ourselves as totally depraved monsters. Mm-hmm. And it's caused us to see everybody else as totally depraved monsters. And we're worthless. We're all of these kinds yeah, of ideas. Totally. And, and it's just so in contrast to, to what God was doing in the garden. I don't, I think a lot of people live in that world then and experience their life in really funky kind of ways. I don't know if that's been true about your world. You, you yeah, live totally. in, you live in many different worlds that have been deeply impacted by these theological ideas. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think part of what I end up seeing and like part of what I'm running into, especially right now in one of my classes, which is where we're talking about ideas like this a little more often than in some of my like English literature classes, um, is the idea of like, you can't have your own desires because those are all inherently sinful and you just need to become an instrument of divine will. So it's like, you're this weird (laughs) glowing window of light that is like possessed by God's spirit and is enacting God's will. But like, you're not a person and you don't have a personality or Mm. you're not an individual and you don't get to want anything or do anything in your life because all of those things are inherently corrupted. Um, it's like for what sometimes, honestly, yeah. it can get interpreted if a two year old would like a chocolate chip cookie They're and has a desire evil. for chance. For, it's like, are you kidding me? The yeah. combination of flour and butter and chocolate and all of it goes into a chocolate. It's it, so far it, from it's, evil. It's good. <laughs> it actually, I think is reflective of the heart that desires something that's good, but we interpret yeah. that as, oh, they're this little, cor- you know, corrupted, selfish yeah. beast. No, they should want broccoli. Atrocious. Give me a break. Yeah. Well, and like I was listening to some to some teaching the other day where it was talking about how in the gospel of Mark, the disciples are set up and like representative of the enemies of Jesus because they are like hard hearted and they don't understand what's going on. And they're doubting Jesus's teaching and they're asking questions and like, they're trying to impose their own understanding of what's going on, like into the whole thing. And I was like, so my takeaway from this is that if you do not clearly immediately without doubt or question understand all of God's purposes and then enact that out all the time without hesitancy or anything then you are an enemy of God (laughs) and I was like these were the people that Jesus chose to surround himself with these were his closest friends these were his disciples right and you are teaching that they are the enemies of God because they were afraid and they didn't understand this kind of radical situation that was going on like that's that's insane. Yeah, I, but I think that, does that not speak to sort of that greater issue that I I don't, I among the many reasons why I think we don't have a lot of self-worth a lot of times is because we're basically of the belief that we are these sort of horrendous monsters. Yeah. And, and I, I think maybe what we can safely say is that if we just start with this idea, everything that comes from God's hand is good at its core, Mm -hmm. meaning that what's deepest and truest about every person. And and we have talked about this on deeper magic before, but every person you meet full stop comes from the hand of God. Therefore full stop. What's deepest and truest about them full stop is that they are good. Mm -hmm. And that's you and me and everybody that we see around us. And then I think that invites a different view of sin 
mm-hmm. as it where any prior to Augustine, they would have seen sin as sort of this foreign force, this disease, this leprosy that is disfiguring that which is good. Yeah. But it's not like what's intrinsically true about the person. Now it does warp us and bend us and it does of all of what does. all of what sin does as this power. But it's not who or what we are at our yeah. core and it's not what we were created to be. And and I think God's wonderful goodness and rescuing event is not mm-hmm. that he's like, "Well, look at all those totally depraved corrupt monsters. <laughs> I'm going to give them some mechanism by yeah. which, you know, whether it's infant baptism or a sinner's prayer where they can get into heaven, he came to to destroy the leprosy, destroy the sin. Again, these will be future episodes, yeah. but I think it's really, for me from the Garden of Eden, I, I mean, what would the world be like if every person that we met, we mm-hmm. saw as intrinsically valuable and worthwhile because they come from God's hand? I, I mean, yeah. I think you probably have some people in your life that are able to see the world through that lens where the people oh, they see, sure. I don't know. I mean, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, and I have had conversations about this with her but there is a friend of mine that I had um had have currently in (laughs) Scotland um where I realized like in the aftermath of becoming close friends with her that I was like oh I never believed that I was beloved until I was friends with her yeah and then the kind of love that she had for me and then the relationship that I saw that she had with God where I was like oh you have this kind of weird radical love for me that I really didn't do anything to earn. Like legitimately really didn't. Um, She just kind of picked me and was like, we're friends now and then never left. And I was like, this is amazing. Um, But that kind of crazy love that she had for me was one of the first times in my life that I have experienced that from another person. And that was kind of what gave me like that foot in the door to start to be like, Oh, if she loves me this much and she like really believes down to her toes that God loves me that same way, like how much more is, is the love of God Mm. over that? Like if this kind of love has has completely changed my life and it is like human love and on a finite scale, then like what on earth would it mean to be beloved Mm. by God? Um, And I think that ties a lot into some of what we wanted to talk about with the image of God, which we don't have a lot to say on that right now because we're both in the midst of like some pretty intense research on that. Yeah. I don't, I feel like anything I say would not probably reflect Mm -hmm. what's in that. And I know you're doing a paper on that right now too. Yeah. But I, I had a brief thing about that, that I was reading the other day that I thought was so interesting where it was talking about how for us to be made in the image of God, and, and then put on the earth to tend and care for it, which we'll talk about more in a minute. Um, but for us to be made in the image of God is some of the same idea or the same like terminology as when priests would make idols of their gods and put them in the temple to mark that temple as belonging to that God. Mm, interesting. Right? Yeah. And so if that's the idea, then we are like living, breathing, made in the image of God, not idols in the sense that we often think about them in the Bible as a bad thing. Right. But just in the sense that literally he fashioned something in his own likeness and put it on the earth to mark all of creation as his, which is just insane if you think about it. It is insane. But then we're also living and breathing and meant to be in partnership with him as we are like marking the earth as belonging to him simply by the essence of who we are. 
And within us, we have the capability that like a little figurine made out of wood or stone doesn't have to bring forth that future and bring forth that good. So that like marking of creation as gods is only unfolding more and more and more and more Mm. as time goes on. That's really beautifully said. I think maybe your research is better than you think. (laughs) That's because I haven't considered it in that way. And, and, And both you and I, are not what I would describe as secular humanists, meaning that we can bring about the good just on our own and all of that kind of thing. Like there needs to be a sort of this wonderful, mysterious partnership with God back and forth. But gosh, it really changes the ball game. I'm just, I'm I'm thinking as you were talking and the the question is for you too, related to friends and mental health and everything. I'm just trying to think it would be really interesting for me to ask my circle of friends if you were being raw and vulnerable and honest about your perception of yourself. Yeah. Given, especially in my age, many dreams have been dashed for people and many relationships have failed. And, and some of the greatest hopes maybe people have had for their children or for what they thought might happen in life. It can get, I think it's maybe more epidemic than we know how discouraged people my age can often feel Mm -hmm. at the death of dreams and hopes and at their own personal failures and everything. And so I would love to ask people the question, my age and my circle friends, and maybe I'll do this in the next couple of weeks and just say, so when you perceive of yourself, do you see yourself within the reality that you are, you are so beautiful and good and delightful Mm -hmm in terms of God's intention and how God created you, like what's deepest and truest is not this failure that you have. And, and it's not the yeah. dreams that have been dashed and all that. What's deepest and truest is this beautiful, you know, light shining being that came from God's hand. I wonder how many people would maybe even say theologically yes to that on some mm-hmm. level, but, but their lived experience it. and their embodied life is not that at all. And I wonder how that would change a person's experience in life and even the experience of the inevitable failures and mm-hmm. and everything that we have. I don't know. I mean, what would you say about your friends? I don't even know if it ties into some of the growing mental health crisis. Like, frankly, it's not your generation. Um, yeah. It's mine as well. So I don't, I, I, when we talk about mental health stuff, I think we have to be very careful not to mm-hmm. pigeonhole that into one generation, but we're just louder about it. You are just louder about it, but mm-hmm. I might, yeah, you know, my, my repressed <laughs> generation <laughs> has, hasn't uh-huh. talked about it. I, what would you think your friends would say about their perceptions of their self, re, themselves related to um, who they are? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if it's just the circle of friends that I run in or if this is like a wider generational thing for me. Um, but I, I think that the vast majority of people that I would ask in my generation would say that they don't consider themselves to be a good person. Um, they, they don't consider themselves worthy of being beloved. I think especially in Christian circles, um, weirdly I have found that my friends who are not Christian sometimes struggle less with that than, than mm, my friends who are that's Christian, really interesting. um, which I think is really unfortunate. But that's, but that's that doctrine. That's it that, is. that's that totally depraved deal. And it's like, even if you're not teaching it explicitly, it is something that I realized retrospectively that I had grown up hearing in the church my whole life in one way or another, whether it was explicit or whether it was more subtle. Um, yeah. but, but that was something that was taught to me over and over and over again. Mm. Um, and then I would say there's probably like a, a smaller percentage of people who would say that like they don't believe that they're a bad person, but I don't think that they feel like they're necessarily worthy of being beloved Yeah. Um, in, mm. in all of the implications of that. Um, and I like, honestly, 
I don't know that I can think of anybody who would be like, yep, I am beloved and I believe that and I know that and I reflect that in my self-worth and in how I think about myself. Mm. Like I, I can think of one person that I would say maybe feels that way, but really I, I, other than that, I'm like, I don't think I could think of anybody who would be like, yep, that is my identity. Mm. Is it odd and is it instructive at all that it seems easier to believe that about somebody else than it is to believe that about yourself? And yeah. I mean, I don't, and, and the reason why I ask is I'm thinking about what is the role of gathering as believers. So instead mm-hmm. of the big events on Sunday mornings with the rock concerts, and, and again, there's parts of those big events that I really still to this day, like really mm-hmm. minister to me and I don't want to step away from, but <clears throat> is there a role for how we gather to help each other see that about each other somehow? Cause somehow yeah. I believe it better when you say it about me than I do mm-hmm. about myself. I don't even know. I'm just sort of thinking out loud right now. Like yeah. what's the role of us as people walking this journey together to remind each other that we're people of beauty and delight and 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 to to do the work against the powers of sin and death that are constantly coming at the imagers. I don't know what you think about that. Well, yeah. And I think that ties back into the idea of like, I, I don't know that I ever would have believed that I was beloved if not for that relationship with that friend yeah. who who made me believe that in how she loved me. Um, so I, I think the community piece of that is absolutely essential. Um, but to kind of tie all of that back to the idea of like the doctrine of original sin and total depravity and the image of God and all of that is that part of what I really struggle with is what I feel like is like, I, I don't know if it's just because I like study this or we talk about it a lot or whatever. Yeah. But I, I feel like there is such a huge and, and like glaring disconnect between the idea of total depravity and the idea of being made in the image of God. There's a total like disconnect. I, they yeah. can't, the, I feel like those are fundamentally incompatible where it's like, how would it make sense for God to create these beings, to mark creation as his, to create Tove and sacred future and, and live in that unfolding and in that partnership with him. But but why would he mark creation as his with these beings of total depravity who are just completely yeah. warped by sin? Because really, wouldn't that be marking the world as belonging to sin? Well, and, and I think people would probably suggest that, okay, fine, you two. That's all true, maybe mm-hmm. from Genesis 1 and 2. But post Genesis yeah. 3, like the fall, everything has changed. So maybe we were once that way, but now we're always, you know, these, these messed up monsters. But mm-hmm. that without getting, you know, too inside baseball with everything. We live in a really interesting time right what now. What does that mean? Inside, inside baseball. baseball. You've just, said that four times. Uh, well, oh, I'm sorry. It's well, cause as Not a baseball, in this episode, but like yeah, before know, we I were know, talking I and I was like, I still don't know what that so means. So it just means that you're sort of an insider on the technical aspects of something. So if you're inside oh. baseball, as opposed to a spectator, just watching the sport unfold, if you're inside baseball, you see all the nuances, you see like all of these things that people so probably shouldn't golf. care about. Because right. I thought that par 68 right. meant 68 holes. And I'm not inside Shadow and Bowen at this point right. because I haven't read all of the books and 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 seen all of the stuff. So Yeah. Uh, it's okay. I'll just keep a running monologue while we're watching the show and be like, actually, at this page in this book. Right. And you totally could do that. Uh-huh. Oh, um, I could. You totally could. No, so we just live in a really interesting time from the perspective of history where after 1,500 years of dominating Western Christian thought, mm-hmm. Augustine has been taken to task much more recently. Yeah. And to the point that it was in 1960 that the Pope of that time and a council called Vatican II Council, 
they did away with the traditional language that said, if you are unbaptized, you're going to hell to unbaptized infants are now left in the hands of the grace of God, Mm -hmm. thus revising a little bit of Augustinian theology. But here's the bigger one that's come out recently is that, and you and I were reading a little bit about it ahead of time, is that people are starting to see that when Augustine was interpreting Romans 5, which is like he based his entire doctrine of original sin and how it gets passed on and what Mm -hmm. happened at the fall. He based it all on almost just a singular verse. It was about nine verses, but a singular verse in Romans five that people are now seeing the dude kind of had a bad Latin translation of the Greek language with what, that he was working with at the time. And maybe he messed the whole thing up, which yeah, it's a pretty Which big claim. Crazy. Like you think about the magnitude of that claim. That's tens of millions, hundreds of millions of people have been impacted, mm-hmm. whether they know it or not, by hundreds and hundreds his of years claim. of church theology. Yeah, for sure. And I think what's really compelling about it is a. I think there is a ton of merit to people's critique of his views of Romans five, but there was no doctrine like his doctrine in the first. 350 years of the church. Yeah. His doctrines were completely absent in ancient Jewish thought. The rabbis never thought in these terms. Mm-hmm. When we had Noah on, he talked about that, that these ideas of original sin and total depravity are completely absent of, of Jewish thinking. So I, I think it does lead to a different question. Here's maybe my last question for you about this okay. and, and for us to puzzle over is that I, if, if, if you... If it became clear, this is a great question. Yeah, sorry, I'm working it out as I go. <laughs> You're good. <I'm> <laughs> my, I say my, as if I haven't atro- been doing that yeah, this know, whole no, episode. My, my near atrophied, 52 year old brain with not mm-hmm. enough hydration is trying to work out this this thought. But uh, I would say the thought is this: that if there was some sort of disease that was threatening you all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm biased, of course, as you're my daughter, I see you as beautiful and lovely and all those sorts of things. So it's really easy for me to see all of that in you. And if there was a disease that was coming at you to disfigure the wonder and beauty that you are, Mm -hmm. I would be fighting with you and for you against that disease all the time out of love and out of passion and hope and joy and all of that. I wouldn't dismiss you as some sort of totally depraved monster. Well, I hope yeah. someday you do some sort of ritual to get yourself right. Mm-hmm. Like I would love to live in a community of people who are fighting for and with one another as the beautiful image bearers that we are yeah. against the disease of sin that is in our world all around us. But it's not what's truest, truest and deepest. It, yeah. it is, it, it, but it will disfigure us if we allow it to go unchecked. I would just love to be with a group of friends. And frankly, the five, the, the four people I'm going out with tonight to see John Wick mm-hmm. qualify as those kind of people in my life that I think we see each other rightly. Yeah. And they're the kind of people that I want to do life with that are strong enough with me to say, dude, quit being such a zoo in your relationship with your wife or yeah. um, be, you know, you're not exactly like as present to the kids as you need to be or all the different ways in which I get disfigured, mm-hmm. but I want people to see me as beloved and beautiful. Yeah. Uh, and that will fight then with me against sin versus just rejecting me as totally depraved. And I think so many people have felt rejected by the church, right? Oh as yeah. As totally depraved Absolutely. as, as just now forget it and, and blah. It just, it, it drives me wild. Well, and I think a lot of then what I see is the idea of like, oh, I'm fighting for you, like on your behalf, right? Against sin and whatever is like, it is something that I hear a lot in the church. But weirdly, I think the way that that often manifests is like, I'm going to go out and start yelling at a total stranger about what they're doing wrong in their life. Yeah. Because I'm fighting on their behalf against sin. And I'm like, you don't have the authority 
authority to do that. And you don't have the kind of relationship with that person where you could do that. But some of my like closest friends that I like, I have been through so much with some of my closest friends and it's like, I will hear it from them and I, and they can keep me accountable because I know that they love me and they see me. And so like fighting on behalf of somebody else against that disease or against that sin does not mean going out and telling a stranger everything that they're doing wrong with their life, like for your own kind of twisted self gratification out yeah. of that. Yeah, yeah. Like absolutely not. Actually, if you want a really good book about that, I would super recommend how to be good by Nick Hornby. Cause okay. I just had yeah. to read it for yeah, one of my classes. You were reading that recently. Right. It was like kind of vaguely disturbing, but I also kind of sort of enjoyed it and mm -hmm. I still don't really know how I felt about it, but it was, it was basically that, um, concept of like, I'm just going to try and be better than you. Mm. Um, and I'm going to say that I'm doing all of these things for your own good or on your behalf, but really I'm just doing it to make myself look better. Yeah. Interesting. Um, and I, I think that is often how that gets interpreted or, or lived out in the church, which I think is a lot of why people are really hesitant to hear, or like in a lot of cases, justifiably, like just simply disinterested in mm -hmm. what the church has to mm -hmm. say. Um, kind of aggressively sometimes where, where they're like, I don't want to hear what you have to say because you don't actually know me or care about me as a person at all. That's exactly right. But you're going to come in and you're going to tell me everything that I'm doing wrong in mm. my life. And think about how different it would be. Like if, if let's say you and I and the rest of our family, your mom and, and brothers and sisters, if we went out back to plant a beautiful garden mm -hmm. and we and we just really obviously would love and care for this garden. What would we do if we knew that there was some sort of serious thunderstorm, rainstorm coming? Like yeah. the amount of energy that we would spend and urgency that we would spend to go cover and protect the garden and the beauty of mm -hmm. the garden from the devastating impact of, of wind and hail or something like that. Like we would go yeah. out and we would be protectors of the garden. We would be tending to that garden. And and I think how would the, how would life be so different? if for all of us that are struggling with, you know, sin and anxiety and turmoil and doubt and pain and like all of this kind of stuff, if there is a group of people who are like out there wanting to, to protect one to another protect from yeah. like to see each other through the lens of love and beauty. And, and I would love to be a part of, of 10, 15, 20, 50 people mm -hmm. where that's how we saw one another was as God saw us in the garden and not some weird thing of, well, God created you good. Yeah. But, you know, I'm sorry that you were but born. But that out, didn't yeah. work out. So. Yeah. Sorry you were born after the serpent fruit thing because yeah. now, you know, they, they were the only two who were ever good. The rest of you clowns are now totally depraved. And somehow totally that's depraved. your fault. Right. And, yeah. And that was part of Augustine's tremendous mistake theologically is he interpreted Romans 5 to be in Adam, meaning that we are somehow all present in Adam's sin. Mm -hmm. and, and boy, did that make an impact. But people yeah. certainly are revising that theology. I don't know. I just, it changes when I walk around Edinburgh and I see totally every, you know, form of human being that you can possibly see. <laughs> yeah. Every one of them is intrinsically good. Mm -hmm. How, whatever the expression of their life is in that moment, it just changes how I think we see one another. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think to tie that all back to the, to the garden of Eden yeah. with this wonderful little segue here is, is I think that I'm is so our professional vocation. Of you. Thank I've, you. I've done radio for like four or five years. You know, I'm longer than that now. Uh -huh. And segues are a big deal and you just crush they that. Are. Thank yeah. you so much. One uh, of my favorite podcasts, whenever they need to like 
segue between topics or whatever, one of them will just yell segue and then they'll just move on. <laughs> Dude, and I've listened I think to that podcast. Really it is a good funny. one. Okay, I, segue. And I do that in conversation. Yes. I'll be like, and segue. And segue. then I'll start a new topic. But to bring that all back to the Garden of Eden is like, that is our vocation. That is, is our, our vocation. to tend and care for creation. And the only way that you can do that is if you're seeing everybody else's beloved. Yeah. And, and that does not mean going out and listing all of the ways that somebody is doing things wrong in their life. Like that is not what that means to care for somebody. And, and we're not in a position to just go out and do that. Like, I, I don't know where that idea came from, that that was our responsibility, but it's just not. Yeah. It's I just, it, 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 I can't think of too many times where it was effective in my own life mm-hmm. where the pervasive message was how wrong I am all the time. Now yeah. there are definitely moments that people that I've trusted have had to come to me and say, you know, please stop doing what you're doing. You know, right. you're, you're a total, as I've said before, you're a total zoo in this area. And I'm mm-hmm. fine with that when it's in a trusted relationship with somebody who I know loves me, that's very yeah. different than this wagging finger message at everybody about how From wrong they're all the time. Yeah. And, and so I think it, May that just be the last brief topic maybe for today on this. Um, because creation is always unfolding, mm-hmm. it's verby, it's meant to be delightful and good. We're meant to be the guardians of that. I mean, we're meant to tend and to care to that in, in who we are as people. We're meant to be people who are bringing light and love and laughter and joy yeah. into this world. We're meant to, I think, take care of creation and the trees and, and, and the streams and the rocks and the frogs and, and all of that <laughs> as well, yeah. because it, it there is just a beauty and a, and a wonder associated with that. That was the original vocation anyway. in Genesis Absolutely. one was that God said to them, all right, this is meant to keep unfolding. And I'm going to give you the, the tremendous task of caring for all of it uh, as, yeah. as people. But I don't think that task has changed for us. No, I don't think it has at all. And I, and I think part of what, needs to shift in our current understanding is like it isn't only seeing other people as beloved it's seeing yourself as beloved too because then out of that place then you can really care for intent Mm. creation if you're seeing all of it including yourself as beloved yeah i was sitting with you you know him i won't say who it is but Mm. when i was in scotland recently i was sitting over coffee at our favorite little cafe Mm -hmm. down there and this person said "If, if you could get a digital readout of everybody's experience that day and what they've all been through um, of everybody around you at any given moment, how mm. might you treat them differently? Oh, just right. Yeah. Like the struggles of the day Completely. in which all of us live, how could we tend to one another just even better? It was a really profound mm-hmm. way that he said it. Just to, to, if you could walk around and just see that digital readout yeah. uh, of how a, a person's day or week or month is going, I do think we would treat one another so much differently. No, absolutely. Mm. Well, so that's a bit more about the Garden of Eden. Yep. I think that wraps up that series. I think it does us. too. I think there's a few, there's certainly more that we can talk about you know, in terms of mm-hmm. future parts of all of that. But if the point that people get from this is to move away from this idea of total depravity and everything mm-hmm. being awful and we're all awful yeah. versus we are all meant to be beautiful and lovely and delightful and we've been created good on the outside, I think it would change a lot of perspectives about why we do what we do. No, I totally think it would. And I think it's way more helpful to see yourself as wonderful and beloved by God and created as intrinsically good. And sometimes you do bad things rather than somebody who is just intrinsically depraved and terrible. And then occasionally you stumble into goodness, but really it's not you. It's God's grace working through you because you're not capable of that on your own. Uh, totally. Like I, I know which one of those 
leads to a God that I would want to believe in. Yeah. Well, and we've said it all along, haven't we, that how we understand what's going on in Genesis one will deeply mm-hmm. impact how we understand what Jesus was up to. Yeah. And I think a lot of people think that Jesus, that God is mostly mad at us all the time. And mm-hmm. Jesus like stepped in and took the big brunt of the attack <laughs> of God upon yeah. his creation on our behalf so that we could suddenly, suddenly be safe. What if it was just really different that Jesus came and he broke the power of the disease uh, and you know, that that is among us and stuff. So it'd be interesting. You sure don't want to come to John Wick tonight? Yeah. Cause we, we, we well, probably, I've already committed to going to a play. You're going to a play? What play yeah, are you going to? I'm, I think it's called Anything Goes. I think it's oh. a musical, which I've totally heard of it, but I don't remember <laughs> what it is right now. Here's where if you and I finally have some solidarity in something is that that's from my generation and oh. I don't know for sure what it is. Oh, awesome. So okay. Anything Goes. So where's the play tonight? It's at Northwestern. It's at the school that you teach at. So <laughs> I don't know why you don't know what's going on. <laughs> well, there's a there's a lot of answers to that. Well, question. yeah, no, there's there's a lot of that. Are. Yeah. So good. Well, it's fun to catch up on the podcast here about your life. I'll give you a good rundown of John Wick uh, by tomorrow morning when we're all back together. And you give me a good rundown of Anything Goes. All right. I will do that. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening to Deeper Magic. I am Peter. I'm Anna. We'll talk to you guys soon. Bye, guys. Magic is produced by Audio on the Rocks, and our music for this episode is Auroras of Saturn by Music L Files. You can head on over to filmmusic.io and find that there, all licensed under Creative Commons 4.0, viewable on the site as well. <laughs> <laughs>